I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading Revelation chapters 9 through 12. This is the new King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. So let's get our Revelation bearings. In chapter 1, we saw the introduction to the book of Revelation. In chapters 2 and 3, we saw a history lesson on seven churches that existed in Asia Minor at the time, 1st century A.D., In chapters 4 and 5, these two chapters take place in heaven after the rapture of the church. Chapter 6 details the six seal judgments and encompasses the first half of the tribulation. Chapter 7 is what we call a parenthetical chapter that explains the presence of the 144,000 Jewish men who are witnesses during the entire tribulation period. And then chapter 8 begins with the opening of the seventh seal judgment and begins the second half of the tribulation. This seventh seal seems to contain seven more judgments called trumpet judgments. The first four trumpet judgments are detailed right here in this chapter. The fifth trumpet judgment comes with, well, critters, verses 1 through 12 of chapter 9. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth, or any green thing, or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man." In those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. The shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle." They had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months. And they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. One woe is past, behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. Revelation chapter 8 verse 13 had mentioned three woes that were to come. These woes, as it turns out, are the fifth, sixth, and seventh trumpet judgments. The woe terminology seems to indicate the traumatic impact of these three judgments. Notice from verse 12 in this chapter that the first woe is equivalent to the fifth trumpet judgment. The fifth angel introduces a star who opens up a hole in the earth, and these wicked-looking little creatures, generally described as locusts or grasshoppers, ascend out of it. That star is personified in verse 2. Notice what Jesus said about Satan in Luke chapter 10, verse 18. It says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. 
it seems relatively safe to conclude that Satan is the star and holds the key to the bottomless pit. So what is this bottomless pit? Well, notice what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. He said, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Study the notes on Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, and I think you'll conclude with me that the bottomless pit here is a reference to Hades. The demons of Luke chapter 8, verse 31 made a request of Jesus. It says there, And they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. Uh, apparently, there's a corridor leading to Hades that reaches the surface of the earth somewhere. Up to this point, that corridor has been sealed. Jesus himself holds the key to this bottomless pit, according to Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. That verse says, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. So it appears that Jesus gives the key of the bottomless pit to the star for the purpose of releasing these creatures. That's the fifth trumpet judgment. These loosed creatures only sting the bad people. It says those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Just the bad people on earth. They don't bother the saved people. They're intelligent little beings with organized leadership. We're even given the Hebrew and Greek name of that leader, who's described as the angel of the bottomless pit. Actually, Abaddon is used in the Old Testament a half dozen times in conjunction with Sheol and is translated destruction. Moreover, the sting of these critters is so painful, those who are stung, they'll want to die, but the sting isn't fatal. Suicide attempts will be futile, we're told here. You'll also notice that they do not harm the vegetation on the land. This misery upon the wicked lasts for five months. Then we have the sixth trumpet judgment comes with a huge army of something in verses 13 to 21. Verse 13. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was two hundred million. I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the head of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone." By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, or their sorceries, or their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Well, are these things that are loosed here by the angel of the sixth trumpet, are they human, or are they supernatural? Whatever, you got to admit that they're way scary-looking. Supernatural, I think. All 200 million of them. It doesn't seem to be the destruction of an army of humans, as some teach. However, even some of the leading scholars in the area of Bible prophecy, such as John F. Walford, 
Uh, we wrote the book, Every Prophecy of the Bible, they're open to the possibility that this represents an incredibly large East Asian army of humans, despite their supernatural-sounding description. Whichever, they kill one-third of the wicked people on the earth, but do the remaining people on earth repent because of this supernatural judgment of God? No. This is that second woe, but it's not stated as such until we get over to chapter 11, verse 14. Now, you know that these angels were loosed at a specific time. Their purpose was to slay one-third of the remaining inhabitants of the earth. With one-fourth having been slain as a result of the fourth seal of Revelation chapter 6, verse 8, this additional one-third leaves about half the original population. With this assault on the ungodly, why won't they just choose to turn to God? Well, salvation is not about a grasp of the facts. Salvation is about faith. Psalm 10.4 says, The wicked in his pride countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. Romans 10.17 says, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that brings us to Revelation chapter 10, verse 1. I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, and do not write them. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter." And he said to me, You must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Well, at this point, John has an episode with an angel presenting a scroll, and he hears seven thunders. John hears audible words from the seven thunders of the angel's voice. Apparently, there are judgments associated with these thunders, much like the seal, trumpet, and vile or bold judgments. However, John is told not to write about the seven thunders, he didn't, so we don't know anything about their prophetic content. Likewise, the scroll was obviously more bad tribulation news. The fact that it was sweet to the mouth and bitter to the stomach, meaning indigestion, that's perhaps an indicator that sometimes good-sounding news turns out not to be so good. The angel swears by God in verses 5 and 6. The Greek phrase literally reads in verse 6 that time no longer shall be. That doesn't speak of the suspension of time. It literally means the tribulation is drawing to a close. 
This seventh angel referenced here in verse 7 actually sounds in Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 through 19. He introduces the seven bowl or vile judgments. The intensity of these bowl vile judgments would indicate that they occur in the last few days of the tribulation period. At that point, the mystery of God should be finished. Daniel wrote in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Daniel's prophecy is fulfilled at the end of the tribulation when the vision will have been sealed up. This passage sets us up for tough times of the tribulation in successive chapters. While John does say in John chapter 10, verse 1, I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, this is not the seventh angel with the seventh trumpet judgment. That seventh angel is clearly first introduced in chapter 11, verse 15. This angel is not Jesus Christ. The word for another is from Greek, alas, which means another that is similar. Whatever his mission... It is worldwide in its scope. It's worth noting that Ezekiel received his prophecy to the exiled Jews in Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 1, through a scroll that he was directed to eat. Ezekiel's scroll was sweet to the taste, but did not give him indigestion, as we see here in verse 10. He was told to take the words and go prophesy to the exiles. His prophecy to them involved exposing their wickedness with an appeal to repent. In chapter 11, we have the two witnesses, verse 1. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for forty-two months. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy one thousand two hundred and sixty days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy, and they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire." When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days, and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves." And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another, because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Now after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. In the same hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell, in the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe was past. Behold, the third woe was coming quickly. All right, let's take a pause here and give a brief outline, a timetable for the tribulation. 
first point should be made is the rapture precedes the period of seven years. This is known as the pre-tribulation rapture position, the position I hold. The seven-year tribulation period coincides with Daniel's 70th week, as recorded in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. The first three and a half years of the tribulation are relatively peaceful while the Antichrist gains influence in the world. Then there's an attack at the midpoint led by northern aggressors, and they are defeated. The Antichrist will establish himself as the god to be worshipped right there in the temple, also described in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27 in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and Jesus even refers to it in Matthew 24, 15. The last three and a half years are severe, occupied by the manifestation of the trumpet and vial or bow judgments. The time period of three and a half years is 1260 days or 42 30-day lunar months, the way the Jews rendered their calendars. The first portion of chapter 11 doesn't flow with the chronology of the trumpet judgments. We're still in that intermission that began at the beginning of chapter 10. The chronology resumes in chapter 11, verse 15. In verses 1 through 14 of this chapter, we have two witnesses that prophesy for 1260 days or three and a half years. So is that the first half of the tribulation, or is it the last half of the tribulation? Or perhaps it overlaps the two, and it's kind of difficult to nail down. However, I've concluded that this period probably coincides with the last half of the tribulation. The Bible doesn't say for certain. Identifying the two witnesses is a little easier. Be Elijah and Moses. The acts done by these two witnesses are those previously performed by those two prophets. Also, at the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17, it was Elijah and Moses who appeared with Jesus. Now, there are those who insist that Enoch, not Moses, must be the other witness. They believe so, based upon the fact that both Elijah and Enoch were caught up without dying. However, keep in mind, with the rapture having taken place prior to the tribulation, there'll be a host of people in heaven who will not have died. Therefore, I'm sticking with the Mount of Transfiguration crew, being Moses and Elijah. These two witnesses have powers. They issue a deadly fire toward their enemies, and they have power over the weather, the water supply, and they can even strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. Oh, one more thing. Elijah is prophesied in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, as being one to precede the coming of the Messiah. So this is obviously it. Jerusalem, the holy city, is still the domain of Gentiles today, including the temple area. The Antichrist kills them and leaves them in the streets. There is a celebration involving the giving of gifts at their deaths. After three days, they are resurrected and taken right in view of their enemies, followed by an earthquake which kills 7,000 people. The saved in the tribulation, or the remnant, they rejoice at the sight of their resurrection. If their prophesying is to take place within the second half of the tribulation, they'll need to get a start in their prophetic ministry prior to the abomination of desolation. That's to allow the days necessary for their deaths and resurrection prior to the battle of Armageddon in Revelation 19, verses 11 through 21. Now, it could be that the mention of 1260 days causes us to feel that we must force their ministry exactly into one half or the other, when it really probably starts just prior to the abomination of desolation. As a matter of fact, the introduction of the seventh trumpet judgment in chapter 11, verses 15 through 19, has an earthquake associated with it in verse 19. 
Due to the severity of the judgments associated with the seventh trumpet, it includes the seven vile and bow judgments as well, it seems logical to assume that these seven vile slash bow judgments are closing in on the end of the tribulation period. The best fit seems to be to place the death and resurrection of these two witnesses here, perhaps a few days before the end of the tribulation itself. If that's the case, their prophetic ministry will begin a few days before the midpoint of the tribulation and end a little while before the Battle of Armageddon. Now, there's another reference to three and a half years in this passage in verse 2 regarding the temple that will exist during the tribulation. Again, does this three and a half years coincide exactly with the last half of the tribulation? Well, perhaps not. But the linkage to verse 3 would suggest that this period does coincide with that of the two witnesses prophesying. This temple is definitely not the millennial temple described in Ezekiel chapters 40 and 41. Ezekiel's temple won't even fit on the existing real estate. That being the case, this temple has to go. Has to go before the millennial temple of Ezekiel is to be built. Perhaps the earthquake of chapter 11 verse 19 takes it out as well. In verse 14, the chronology resumes, though for a short time, and we're told that the second woe is completed, awaiting the third and last woe. Therefore, that second woe was obviously the judgment of the sixth trumpet angel in Revelation chapter 9, verses 13 to 21. Then we have the seventh trumpet in Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 through 19, verse 15. Then the angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged." that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. And there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, and an earthquake and great hail. Now verse 15 introduces the seventh trumpet angel, who declares that the end of the tribulation is now in sight and that the kingdom of God, or heaven, is nearing being established on the earth. This will be the culmination of all the Old Testament prophecy concerning the Messianic kingdom, the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. We saw these 24 elders first in Revelation chapters 4 and 5. The seventh trumpet judgment is shown here, but without cataclysmic consequences on earth. It seems likely that this seventh trumpet must be the introduction of the seven vile, or sometimes called bold judgments, that follow, just as the seventh seal judgment appears to introduce all of the trumpet judgments. We get a summary of the last few days before the end of the tribulation in these verses. Also, we get a glimpse of the real temple in heaven in this passage, the presence of which is confirmed by Paul in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11-28. through 28. I'm convinced that this event marks the last few days before the end of the tribulation, You'll see that the vile or bold judgments are so severe, they're all described in Revelation chapter 16, that the earth will be reeling from their effects. We're getting ready to see the final battle at the end of the tribulation, but we'll have to wait until we get to Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 21, for the battle of Armageddon. Then we have a history of the conflict in Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. 
Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then, being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there one thousand two hundred and sixty days. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness to her place, where she is nourished for time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Well, here's another chapter that doesn't fit into the chronology of Revelation, and we call it a parenthetical chapter. These first six verses summarize the conflict between Israel and Satan. The woman's obviously Israel. You recall the dream that Joseph had back in Genesis chapter 37, verse 9, when it says, Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. Yep, the woman's definitely Israel here. The baby here is obviously Jesus, who was born out of Israel. The dragon is Satan, along with the description of Satan incarnate, the one found in Daniel chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, and Revelation chapter 13, called the beast there, but also known popularly as the Antichrist. The stars of heaven are fallen angels with the description of their fall, which is expanded in verses 7 through 9, and that part, by the way, is historical. Verse 4 is an obvious reference to Herod's attempt to destroy the Messiah by having the babies slain in Matthew chapter 2. Yet, future Messiah references are found in verses 5 and 6, which happen to coincide with Old Testament prophecy. One such prophecy is found in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Those two verses say, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
Well, there's your ruling in Revelation chapter 12, verse 5. The ascension of Jesus in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, is referenced also here in verse 5, where the Acts account reads the following. Now, when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. The fact that the woman flees into the wilderness characterizes the last half of the tribulation, when it says a time and times and half a time rendered as time being one year, times two years, and half a time, six months, that totals three and a half years. That's described by Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 to 51. That's when he was describing the last half of the tribulation. Chapter 12 fits cleanly into the prophecy by Jesus described in Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 to 51. Incidentally, many prophecy teachers feel strongly that the exact place to which the remnant of Israel will flee is east on the other side of the Dead Sea into the mountainous region of Basra in current-day Georgia. This position is based upon Micah chapter 2, verse 12, and that scenario seems likely. Michael is referenced here in verse 7 as he is in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, which says, At that time Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands, watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. We see in this passage Israel surviving the tribulation, even though being heavily pursued by Satan himself, having assumed the human form of the beast, also known as the Antichrist, of Revelation chapter 13. God will miraculously deliver Israel out of the tribulation. So chapter 12 begins in heaven before the Garden of Eden and explains Satan's malicious tirade through the centuries all the way down to the end of the tribulation. And this, by the way, sets up the Battle of Armageddon. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walton.